It's been a few weeks. Get a little rusty. How you kids doing over there, all right? Good. All right, Gospel of Mark. And uh, I, like to, uh, I like to preach verse by verse. Uh, so whether we take Mark through verse by verse to the end or take out snippets and then change directions when the growth group sessions begin again in September, I am not sure yet, but I do know that today we are in Mark chapter 1. So you want to follow me there. For a little background, uh, Mark's gospel is the earliest written of the four gospels. It was written prior to uh, 63 AD, uh, really to Christians in Rome. Uh, that's where he wrote the gospel. And, uh, but of course, fitting for every age, because he's wanting people that are living in an environment of, uh, where many people are worshiping many gods, he wants these people to know that Jesus is the one true Son of God. It's the most chronological of all the Gospels where the accounts are positioned as they actually happened. And it's believed that Matthew and Luke um, took Mark's Gospel as their main source of information as uh, the other Gospels quote everything except 31 of the verses of Mark. A little bit about the author. Uh, It's written by, again, a man named John Mark, and he appears several times in Scripture. Uh, Mark is... uh, John Mark is what we go by. John is his Jewish name. Mark is his Gentile name. Uh, We read about him in Acts chapter 12 where uh, we're told Herod goes on a rampage and he already was putting Christians to death. And uh, that chapter opens with the death of James. James uh, was one of the big three, Peter, James, and John. Uh, Herod also arrested Peter at that time and put Peter in prison. And uh, we could assume that as what happened to James, Herod's intention was then to execute Peter. So the church calls for a prayer meeting, and um, they meet at uh, uh, Mary, uh, the mother of Mark's home, okay? That's where the uh, prayer meeting is. You may be familiar with the account. If you're not, you could turn to uh, Acts chapter 12. It's a very interesting account. While the church is praying, uh, an angel appears to Peter in prison. Peter is asleep, so he's not too much worried about it. He's in, matter of fact, he's in a a deep sleep, so much so that the angel has to come and kick him in the side and say, oh, wake up. And uh, the angel takes Peter by the hand and literally walks him out of the prison into the streets and turns him loose. Uh, Peter's still groggy, not sure of what's happening. So if if you did follow me to Acts chapter 12, It says in verse 11, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. So Peter's knocking at the gate, And, of course, this servant girl, a damsel uh, named Rhoda, she comes and peeks and looks out. And uh, like most of us, when God answers a prayer that we think is almost an impossible request, uh, Rhoda is amazed to see Peter. She's amazed. Uh, He's standing at the door knocking, and she's so shocked that instead of letting him in, uh, she runs back, leaves him there knocking, and runs back into the prayer meeting and says, you're not going to believe Who's at the door? You're not going to believe it. Who's knocking? It's Peter. And the other believers, you know, really devout in their prayer, uh, you know, expecting an answer, they're shocked to hear this, that Peter's actually there. So it says, uh, they said to her, you're mad. You're crazy. King James English, you're mad. You're crazy. Uh, And she kept saying, no, he's really there. So this argument's going on, okay? And then they said, well, it's his angel. Can't be him. He's locked in prison, Uh, you know? So here they're praying for this thing. Isn't it something? The answer's right there, and they're doubting it. So Peter continues knocking, it says in verse 16. I could almost picture Peter's face like, are you kidding me? He continues knocking, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them, 
with the hand to hold their peace. So basically, they're having a regular hallelujah moment. You know, you ever have those hallelujah moments where God does something big and you're just doing the holy dance? I do that sometimes. It's not pretty, but it's between me and God. So that's all there is to it. So they're, they're kind of doing the holy dance. And Peter's like, yo, simmer down. Calm down. It's not like Herod let him out, right? Uh, and he says, how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he said, go and show these things unto James and to the brethren. He departed, went into another place. Well, again, this is Mark's mother's house. Mark is there. He's at this prayer meeting, and he's the eyewitness to this. So this has to have an effect on you. When you see God do some big things, it has an impact on your life. Mark sees this in Act 13 when Paul and Barnabas are then, you know, separated to go out on their first missionary journey. There's also Mark with them, and they depart and he travels with them to the island of Cyprus. And for some reason, the scripture doesn't say, but for some reason, Mark refuses to go any further with them. And instead, he bails and he goes back home to his mother's house. So whatever the reason was, it doesn't say, but he leaves them. And evidently, it grieved Paul. And Paul really looks at him as a quitter. He's a, he's, he's a deserter. Uh, he is also the nephew of Barnabas, who is course with Paul and as they get to their second missionary journey in Acts 15 Barnabas is going to bring his nephew Mark along and say Paul give give Mark another chance you know all right yeah he went back but give him another chance and Paul basically says no he's dead to me all right well he didn't say that I think Tony Soprano would say that not he, he just said no he's not profitable he's not coming and of course they have a big, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they have this uh, fight, and they split ways, they split company. But later on, Mark is restored into the ministry someplace and somewhere, so that even when Paul's writing his last letter before he would be executed to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.11, he tells Timothy to take Mark because he's become profitable, profitable to me for the ministry. Uh, one thing we need to keep in mind as we go through the gospel about Mark is, as the writer, he experienced failure. We've all experienced failure. We've all, you know, for whatever reason, at some time or another, we bailed, we quit, we, we stopped short, stopped walking by faith maybe when things got difficult. And what it's saying here is, listen, we're not alone. A lot of times, that's what the devil wants to, you to think, that you're the only one. You know what, we got a bunch in this room of people who have quit at times and bailed at times and failed at times. Praise God for his restoration. Praise God that his grace and his mercy is there. And Mark experienced that, and he became useful again in the ministry. Next, we see that he becomes like a spiritual son to Peter. Peter calls Mark my son. It's interesting how he would hook up with Peter, because Peter is also a fellow deserter, right? Peter was the one when they said, you were with him. And he says, I don't know him. And he denies Jesus three times. So it's interesting how they are brought together. And how, again, Peter was also one who was restored after the resurrection. And Jesus tells the, the women at the tomb, go get the apostles and Peter. Because Peter had set himself apart because he knew of his failure. And the mercy and grace of God touched Peter and he was restored. When you read the book of Mark and this gospel of Mark, really sums it up in the first verse. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in chapter 15, you see him talking about the centurion at the cross when, you know, Jesus gives up the ghost and the centurion says, truly, this man is the Son of God. Mark is revealing that Jesus is the true Messiah, the promised one of God, the Son of God. But he's a, he's a Messiah that comes with a twist, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that Jesus expects all of his disciples, all who have called upon him, to serve as well. So we're going to read a lot about serving in the gospel of Mark here. Some commentators also believe Mark is the young man because, uh, who ran away. If it's only in the account of uh, Mark, whereas Jesus is being arrested, it says there was a certain young man in a linen cloth uh, who was following Jesus, and uh, they grabbed a hold of him, and it says he ran away. They were just left with a cloth in their hands, and he ran away naked from them. Uh, so it could be possible that it was, again, Mark running for his life. He wasn't there yet. 
most of us aren't there yet. We're on this journey to get there, to continue pressing on. So Mark, this one-time deserter, when you look at the end of his life and see how he uh, came to his end, he went to Alexandria in Egypt and he's preaching to the idolaters in the city and, and he's telling them to turn away from their worship of their traditional gods. And it says in AD 68, they wrapped a, a rope around his neck and they, they drug him through the streets, uh, just breaking his body up, breaking his bones, eventually uh, killing him that way. And then they burned his body. But Mark completed his course and he served his Lord well. That's the backdrop as we get in. So now let's begin with the Gospel of Mark, one of the most translated of all the Gospels. The Gospel of Mark, let's start with uh, chapter 1, and we'll go verse 1. And Mark starts with the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, of all the Gospels, right out of the gate, Mark doesn't mix messages. Right out of the gate, he's proclaiming the, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I think that's an interesting thing because, again, the other gospels, they don't have that. Uh, they have it later. But Mark starts right with the beginning, the good news of Jesus Christ. And why not? It is the greatest message of all time. It's the greatest message of all time given to man. I mean, here is mankind dead in trespasses and sin. We were born with a sin nature that was passed down to us from Adam uh, when he sinned in the garden. It passed down to us, so we have all been born with a sin nature, and guess what? We sin. Uh, and because of sin, we're all condemned to die. That's the truth, okay? That's, that's the position of man. Condemned, we're on death row waiting for our number to be called, where we would spend an eternity separated from the presence and the love of God. In a very real place called hell. I know 21st century people don't like to hear it, but that's the truth of the gospel. But God, in his mercy, would send his son to pay our debt of sin, something we could never pay, so we as sinners could be set free. And we just sang it, who the son sets free is free indeed. Free from what? Death and hell. We've been set free from the bondage of sin, from the destruction of sin. And even more than that, we've been given this free gift of everlasting life in a real place called heaven. It doesn't get better than that. Okay, that if you're a believer and you take your last breath, guess what? You end up in the presence of God. Doesn't get better than that. Hold back your excitement because I can see you're ready to break out in the holy dance yourself. So hold back. Aren't we? We're just so like right. It's raining out. What does he mean excited? <laughs> Jesus came and he took our place. And it was necessary in order to satisfy God's justice. See, many people don't get that. Most people say God is love, and that is true. But they'll say, well, he's love, and because he loves us, then everyone gets a pass that he wouldn't condemn anyone. But they don't understand that, guess what? Just as much as God is love, he's also equally just. That his justice must be satisfied. He's the one who said, the soul that sins will surely die. And he can't go against his word. So he made a way out. He sent his son to become sin for us. The most famous book, uh, verse in scripture. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So if you've never placed your faith in Christ and what he did on the cross, paying for your debt of sin, if you've never taken that as a free gift, which it is, then you need to do that. You've got to place your faith in him alone. That's all you can do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He took your sin, paid for it in full, and he offers that to you. And if you choose not to, then you won't be forgiven. The Bible makes it clear. It's a simple message. I love 1 John chapter 5, that this is the record, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. That he who has the Son has life, and he who has not the Son of God has not life. And these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. You can know where you're going, and it has everything to do with the Son. There's two groups of people in this room. There's two groups of people in this world. It's those who have the Son and those who don't have the Son. So you've got to ask yourself, where do you stand? Have you ever placed your faith in Christ alone? You have the Son, you have life. And if you don't, you don't have the Son, you don't have life. That's the simple message of the gospel. 
So as easy as it was for man to get kicked out of paradise, God made it just as easy to get back in. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved from the power and the penalty of sin. And one day from sin altogether. Isn't that a nice thing when you get to heaven? We'll be gone from the presence of sin. Right? We are bar- we're just barraged with sin all the time. Even when you're walking, trying not to sin, it comes and smacks you in the face sometimes. You ever get that? You're trying to be holy. What? How'd that happen? You smacked it? I'd smack myself too hard right there. I was so excited, I smacked myself too hard. Mark's the only one to start here. And as I ponder this, it makes me wonder why. And maybe it's because Mark was a deserter. And then he experienced the mercy and grace of God. And you know what? If this is Peter's gospel, because they say Mark was the writer, but it really came from the mouth of Peter. If this was Peter's gospel, then guess what? Peter experienced the same mercy and grace of God. You know what? Jesus would seek out Peter, restore him. Maybe that's why this gospel starts with the gospel. Mark and Peter, both restored deserters, are still amazed at the magnitude of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that compels them to keep getting back up, to keep pressing on, to be all in. It's the message of the gospel that remains in their hearts, that spurs them on. It's on their lips, so they're ready to tell others about it. Let me tell you something. For those here who are saved later in life, you know what I call you, the junkyard dogs. Percentage-wise, after 25, only 4% of people over 25 get saved. Think about that. All right, 65% before 18, 4% after 25. You know why? Because after 25, you start becoming cynical, gristled, you know, junkyard dog. That's what you are. That's what I was. A junkyard dog, and at 30 years old, God came in and drew me to himself and saved this wretch. And let me tell you something, that still amazes me. And, and it, it should still amaze you that he would pluck us out of this miry clay. You know what miry clay is that just keeps sucking you down. The world kept sucking us down, and he pulled us out, and he set our feet upon a rock. For those, maybe there's some here that were saved in their youth, that were raised in the church and and grown in the church, and uh, you know, but you really didn't understand the depravity of your sin. And you know, you you deserted from the faith. You went out into the world, and out there in the world, in your sin, you came to the end of yourself and you remembered how good it was when you were walking with the Lord. And you repented and you you came back. And you know what the Lord did? He met you there and he forgave you and he restored you just like the prodigal son. And let me tell you something. If that's your experience, I'll tell you right now, I bet you have a great appreciation for the Lord as well, for the gospel. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is the core of your being. Should be at the core of every believer's life. Listen, you know, when when Newton wrote Amazing Grace, he said who saved a wretch like me, not like I was. And you've heard me say many times, listen, 20, 30 years later, I'm still amazed that God, in his foreknowledge, who knew everything I would ever do, still saved me. See, grace never dulls. Grace only becomes more amazing. That Are you kidding me? You knew all this? All the struggles, all the junk, all the craziness, and you still saved me, grace only gets more amazing. Only does. You see, that's what I think. That when you, Lord, you would restore me after what I've done. But that's what God does. And when you understand that, I'll tell you right now, the gospel becomes the center focus of your life. Do you understand I could stand up here and I could preach just the gospel for an hour because that's how much it excites me. And now I've had, I've had Christians come and say, oh, all you do is preach the gospel. I feel like i got to get saved every week. I told the guy, maybe you do. <laughs> Listen, Christians should be excited about the gospel all the time. You should be excited about the gospel. really should be. You know, the gospel becomes the center focus of your life. So, you know what? When that happens, you begin to lose this mindset that I'm here today because I'm forced to be. You know, instead, I'm here because, Lord, I owe you everything. 
I owe you everything. I'm here because, Lord, you've been so good to me. We just sang that song. That song breaks me every time. Because he's good to me. And he's been good to me. And he's been faithful all his life. And when, he, when I've been gone, he was running after me. I'm here because, Lord, you are patient and kind. I would have given up on me a long time ago. But you've been patient and you've been kind to me. You know, again, I've said it many times before, but if we were to look at the trajectory of our life before getting saved, if God didn't intervene, where would we be today? So I praise God for the gospel. I praise God for the gospel and his great salvation. Maybe that's why Mark started off with this one simple line, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now he's going to show how this message is going to unfold to the world. Again, back in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. As we see this message really started out in obscurity. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That voice was prophesied in Scripture years before it would happen. God promised that he would send a messenger, a, a forerunner, to prepare the way for his son. It was in the book of Malachi, 430 years sooner, he wrote, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Isaiah, one of the most famous of the prophets, 700 years prior, said, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Both are saying that God was going to send this this one to come before Jesus would get there to make a way, to show people the way. So here is John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit since the womb. The one who was prophesied about is one crying in the wilderness. You know, in Old Testament times when royalty was coming, they would prepare the way. They would, you know, straighten out the roads, fill the, um, you know, man, they had potholes back then fill the holes and take obstacles away. So when royalty came, they had a smooth ride. It's interesting. I live right on the border of two counties. And if I make a right out of my driveway, I have brand new road. It's smooth. And if I make a left, which is the, it, one is the start of one county, the other one's the end of one county, I have potholes and bumps the whole way. Can they? they don't care about me at the end just the way it is. But this is what they would do. They would prepare the way, make the way smooth before the king arrived. This message that John is preaching is not his own. It's given to him by the Holy Spirit, and he would cry out. It means to shout in a tumultuous voice. John wasn't just this little guy out there. You know, Jesus said that, what are you coming out to see, this little thing shaken by the wind? He says, no. John was this powerful man loud voice, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He was preaching to people, telling them to get right with the Lord because he's coming. It says in verse 7, and he preached saying, there cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Historians say at the time of John, there was this great expectation of Messiah coming because society was breaking down, the, the religious system was breaking down, it was a mess. Kind of familiar. Okay, and John is crying out, telling people to get ready because the Lord is coming. Now we're not sure what John looked like. Some say he had a Nazarite vow, uh, vow because when the angel of the Lord appeared to uh, his father, uh, you know, he said that he, John would neither drink wine nor strong drink and will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. So he didn't have any wine, no strong drink for his entire life. It says we'd know his fashion. He wore a coat of camel hair. Okay, that's got to be a little itchy. Coat of camel hair uh, with a leather belt. So he had to look like a pretty wild cat, I would think. You know. And a strange diet, he ate locusts and honey. Locust and wild honey, okay? Now, I've heard some say, you know, that that's not really locust, that's carob. Everybody know what carob is? 
And now all you health nuts don't know what carob is? That's the health substitute, carob. It's like a chocolate. But he was eating bugs, okay? He wasn't eating, you know, in the wilderness eating bonbons. He's eating real locusts, um, which was allowed, believe it or not, in the Jewish dietary laws. Listen to this, Leviticus chapter 11. It says, yet... These may you eat of every flying, creeping thing that goeth upon all four, which have legs above their feet. Always good to have legs above your feet. To leap with all upon the earth. Okay? You know, legs above their feet. Uh, even these of them you may eat. The locust, after his kind. Okay? Says you could eat the locust. The bald locust. The receding locust. <laughs> And the beetle after his kind, the grasshopper after his kind, but all other flying, creeping things which have four feet shall be an abomination unto you. How about that? So you were allowed to eat bugs. I understand they still, there are those who still eat bugs out there. They roast them and stuff like that. Bugs and honey. Get used to it because I hear we're going to be doing away with meat soon and we're going to be eating bugs. So I heard that. So get used to it. So here's John crying out in the wilderness. What's interesting to me as I'm studying this and wrapping my mind around it is that the Holy Spirit would send his messenger with such a powerful message to the wilderness. Now the wilderness is this, you know, mountainous, desolate area. Okay, it's, uh, the Jordan River runs through it, and th but that's the only water you see for miles. It's just this desolate area. Not a nice area, very rugged terrain, Okay. It was in the wilderness. But you know what? The wilderness really has a very significant meaning to the Hebrew people. It was in the wilderness that you remember a couple things that happened. When they were standing there, before going over the Jordan, they were in the wilderness. And they were there with Moses, and Moses sent spies into the land, and the spies came back. And what they say, there's giants in the land, we can't do it. And for fear, instead of stepping out in faith for fear, they complained and God sent them back into the wilderness and that whole generation would die and God would wait till the next generation would grow up and bring them back to the same place. Bring them back to that same spot where they were going to cross over now with Joshua. They find themselves in the same position in the wilderness. And this time they crossed over the Jordan and they conquered the promised land. Now, since then, many years had passed, and isn't it interesting, the Holy Spirit's calling them back out to the wilderness. Sometimes God brings us back to places. You see it in the life of Peter. What happened with Peter? Peter denied the Lord. There are only two times you see these words, coals of fire, in the New Testament. He denies Jesus around the coals of fire, and when he's restoring Jesus, it says he's around coals of fire. They were making a breakfast and Jesus was, you know, they came in from fishing, and there's Jesus standing around coals of fire. And he restores Peter. See, he brings him back to the coals of fire. You see it with a, a Jonah. When Jonah, you know, said, I'm not going, and he goes the other way, and God prepares this, the great fish, and he takes him, and he spits him out. And I believe he spit him back in the same place and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, that's a great idea. Right? <laughs> God has a way of bringing us back to the same place, places of remembrance. So when you think about this, they go back to the wilderness. John is out there, and the Holy Spirit brings them back into the wilderness to go through the Jordan, to be baptized in the Jordan again, because they need to start over. They need a do-over, because you know what? They're, again, they're the religious system had become corrupt. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were corrupt. As a nation, they were corrupt. The tax collectors are, are gouging them. The people are corrupt. And God brings them out, out to the wilderness, and says, let's do this over. Let's get this right. There had been 430 years of silence between when God spoke to his, the children of Israel till this moment. And John breaks through the silence, crying out, saying, Messiah is coming. We need to turn back to God. They go out to the wilderness, and people came to hear him. This area is like 20 to 30 mile walk from Jerusalem. Think about that. Like 20 to 30 mile walk. The Holy Spirit didn't lead John into Jerusalem to preach there. Because what was going on in Jerusalem? Remember when Jesus appeared, and he looks over the city, and he sobs? Why? Because he says, they were dead. It looked like it was life, but inside it was dead. So he sends them back 
out into the wilderness. John goes and people follow. That's pretty amazing. Verse 5, it says, There went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and they were baptized of him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Multitudes went out. This was before telephone. This was before social media. The word got out and people went out. And you'll notice something here. If you go follow me to Luke 3, because this gives us a little more detail. They go out, and it wasn't just the Jewish people who went out. Gentiles would go out as well. Follow me to Luke chapter 3. And it talks about John in verse 2, the son of Zacharias is in the wilderness. Verse 3 says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and a rough, rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Again, the message of Jesus is for all people. John, the last of the Old Testament prophets, spoke with power and conviction. Look what he says in verse 7. Then said he unto the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. They come 20, 30 miles walking to be baptized of him, and look at his greeting. O generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's a good start introduction to a sermon right there, isn't it? Come here. You generation of vipers, what are you doing here? I wouldn't do that. But John did. Okay? So I just think that's a pretty interesting opening. Uh, he says, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to be our father. For I say, knew that God is able of these very stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. They're thinking, listen, we're descendants of Abraham. We're in. And John says, that means nothing. It means nothing. And now look, all of a sudden, the people are convicted. It's amazing how the Word of God has the power to convict. Let me tell you something. As the church, we need to be preaching the Word of God, okay? Because that has the power to convict, okay? It's a heart problem in people, and the best conviction is the Word of God. Let the Word of God do its work. Great heart surgery, all right? Look at, after he calls them that, look at their answer. Their answer wasn't, I'm not going there again. I'm not going to that church. That guy's crazy. You notice he didn't say that. I did see a meme the other day. Can I say this? I saw it. It says, you know what? McDonald's could get your order wrong 101 times and you keep going back, but the church does one thing wrong and you leave. All right. Popped, in, popped into my head. Popped into my head. All right. So look, look at their answer. They didn't, they didn't get offended. Look what they said. Verse 10. The people asked, what shall we do then? What are we going to do? Messiah's coming back. I'm not living right. What am I supposed to do? He says, he answers, he that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. He that has meat, let him do likewise. Then the publicans came, one of the worst of sinners. They came to be baptized. They said, Master, what shall we do? He said, exact no more than that which is appointed you. And then the soldiers, Gentile soldiers, come and likewise demanded of him, saying, what shall we do? And he said, do no violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Isn't that something? Jew and Gentile alike are, are coming out to hear the message preached, and they're hearing it with a, a power that they weren't used to, a boldness they weren't used to, and people begin to think, Maybe John is the Messiah. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. But John answered, verse 16, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, and the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. God gave John a mission and a message, and he was faithful to his calling. God brought people out to him, and, and I just believe that, you know what? 
if we as the church are faithful to this call and we're to preach the word in season and out of season, guess what? God will bring people to hear the message. I believe that. Okay? Listen, if you didn't know, there's a real wilderness out there. There's a real wilderness out there. And God has appointed us for such a time as this. So while John is preaching about the first coming of Christ as the church, we're preaching that Jesus is coming again. He's coming back. So just as with John, listen, we know our, our mission statement, our first thing is to help people find God. The reason why people are the way they are is because they're lost. They're spiritually dead. You know, too often we look at the person and when we want to attack the person, we got to understand they are in spiritual darkness. It says in Acts 17, they're groping in the dark, trying to find the truth. That's the condition of lost people. And I know it's easy in our minds because we see the words coming out of the hole in their face and saying it's got to be them, but the problem is it's not them, there's something bigger. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we, like John, are to help people and point people to God. So John was a voice, you know, one calling in the wilderness, and I'm telling you right now, that is us as well. One calling in the wilderness. John was there to, to guide people. To, you know, he had to break down the, the mountains and the hills will be made low. What, what were these mountains? There's people with mountains of unbelief. They've been blinded by Satan. So there's mountains of unbelief. There's, there's mountains of pride. There's valleys of despair that are people just looking for something that they can find hope in. There's the crooked way, which is just sin and the rough ways, doubt and fear. And for 430 years, this is where the Jewish people had been since they hadn't had a word from God. And John comes on the scene and he shatters the silence. And folks, we are called to do just that, to, to point people to God. And let me tell you, you know why we're called to that? Because somebody did that for you. Somebody did that for you. Uh, it may have been a parent, it may have been a pastor, could have been a Sunday school teacher, could have been a French, could have been a stranger. But someone helped you find God. Someone took the time to show you the way. And as born-again believers, again, that's our job. As great as John the Baptist is, matter of fact, in Luke 7, 28, Jesus said, among those born of women, there is none, no greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You know what he's saying? We, as believers, on this side of the resurrection are greater than he. Why? Because we have the complete message that Jesus rose again, that people can be forgiven, that people can be given everlasting life. We have the complete message. Remember John, he was in prison. Things weren't turning out right. He's like, uh, are you the one or are we looking for somebody else? We have the complete message that Jesus is the way. So for all of us, that know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, you know what? We should be pointing others to him. That's every believer's responsibility. Every believer's responsibility. Not just the pastor's responsibility. Not just the assistant pastor's responsibility. Every believer's responsibility to tell people about God. To go out into the wilderness. And let me tell you something. I believe that if you're willing and you start praying, God, give me open doors of utterance and give me a boldness, I believe God will set you up with divine appointments. God will put people in your path. If you really begin to take God seriously, it says in, in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know what? If you sanctify the Lord God in your heart, you know what that means? That you are all in. That Jesus is on the throne of your heart, okay? And you are living for his glory. Sanctify him. I'm going to tell you something that's going to give you a different attitude than the world. If your constant input is the world, the news, and all the junk around it, I can see why you could be a Christian and feel like you have no hope. Because we live in tough times. But if you understand and you're in the word of God and you understand that God is in control, that God is sovereign, I'm going to tell you something, you're going to have a hope. That instead of seeing things falling out of place, you're going to see things falling perfectly in place. It's going to give you a hope. And people, it says, will come to you and ask you for this hope that's in you. Why is it that everyone else is in fear, everyone else is angry, why do you have that hope? I need what you have. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. So what's some 
personal application here. Since we're, we're looking at John, this voice in the wilderness, and, and God has left us here for such a time as this, let me ask you something. Let's get personal here. Are you pointing people to God? Are you pointing people to God? This is, this is something that we have to understand. Listen, if you could say, I've been a Christian 20, 30, 40 years, and you've never witnessed to somebody, do you know there's something wrong with that, right? Uh, you may be ticked off at that right now. You may not want to hear that, but too bad. You happen to be here, and I happen to be saying it, and I have the microphone. Listen. We're all to witness. We're all to witness. When was the last time that you witnessed to somebody? I'm not saying you've got to be standing on a street corner or, or, you know, on, a, on a milk crate, but when was the last time you witnessed to somebody? When was the last time you gave out a track? When was the last time you showed the love of Christ? Listen, when was the last time you took part in a church outreach? Well, we're bringing the gospel to the lost. Listen, that's a great opportunity because there's strength in numbers. I know we, we had a meeting the other night, you know, at the school board, and I had somebody come in, and they looked, and they said, oh, man, we thought we were going to be the only ones here. We are so glad you're here. They didn't go to this church, but they said, we're so glad you're here. It's because there's strength in numbers. So when we have these outreaches, when we have this VBS, listen, kids are under attack. What a great opportunity to show the love of Christ to kids, to be models for these kids, to get the gospel out to these kids. I know you're busy. Everybody's busy. Who's not busy? Anybody busy? Are there any bored adults? Right? Kids say that, don't they? I'm bored. When was the last time you really were bored? Don't you look for some moment to be bored? Can I just be bored for a moment? So one application, we got to be that voice in the wilderness. Second one, there's forgiveness to be found. The Bible says repent and be baptized. That's what John's message was. That's a short, simple message. Repent and be baptized. You know what repent means? A change of mind, metanoia, that leads to a change of direction. Now, what do you got to repent of? Does that mean clean up your act? You can't clean up your act. You can't clean up your act. That's why you need the Lord. Lord, I can't do it. I've been trying to get there in my own strength, in my own merit, trying to be good enough. Listen, before I came to Jesus, I thought, Man, you know what, I'm good enough. I never killed anybody, never robbed a bank. That should count as something. Right? That was my thing when people used to witness to me. I never killed anybody, never robbed a bank. I thought that my religion was going to be the one to get me into heaven. I thought I was a good person. You know what I had to do? I had to repent. I had to change my mind. And understand that, guess what? None of those things could get me to heaven. And that made me turn to Jesus. You paid my way. You're the only way that I could be forgiven. So maybe for you out there today, maybe that's your message. You know what's happening in churches? Too many churches have become this human improvement centers. Live your best life now. Listen, you need to live for Christ now, and your best life will come later. All right? If you want to experience God's forgiveness, you just got to admit you're a sinner, turn to God. You know, the message of repentance is throughout the Bible. Noah, he said, repent, because it's going to rain. God's going to judge the earth. They laughed at him, and that was it. Jonah went to the wicked city of Nineveh. He preached, repent, or God's going to destroy your city. And guess what? Those people repented, and God spared the city. God's requirement is always repentance. Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 3, repent, he says so that your sins could be remitted. In Acts 17, as Paul is speaking on Mars Hill, he says that now God has commanded all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, Jesus, whom he has ordained. Listen, he's saying repent. What, why are you holding on to your sin? Do you think that is going to be worth it? I know a lot of people don't come to Jesus because I want to do what I want to do, live how I want to live. The message is you've got to change the way you're thinking because that's going to lead you to destruction. Make a U-turn, turn to the Lord, and you'll be saved. One last thing I'm just pulling out of this. Did I say one? Maybe two. <laughs> abundant life. Jesus promises abundant life. And I think we find something here in the life of John that's very important. Now guess what? If you want abundant life, 
My life has to be more about Jesus and less about me. You know, John says these, these famous words, I must decrease so he could increase. If our life is just based on our agenda, what we want, do what we want, the things we want, guess what? We will always fall short of experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has for us. I must decrease. John says, there's one coming mightier than me whose shoes I'm not, who's latching on whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He says, I'm not even worthy of the, the, the worst job, being that slave to stoop down and take off the, the, the sandals of the master. He says, I'm not worthy of that. Crowds were coming into Jeru uh, coming into the wilderness and they're listening to John and they're thinking maybe he's the Messiah. But you know what? John didn't have a God complex. You know what a God complex is? A lot of times people think they're God. Guess what? Here's the deal. He's God, we're not. We get that one down, that's pretty good. He's God, we're not. All right? He was willing to step aside to give the glory to Jesus. You know, John had disciples of his own, if you remember. John had his own disciples, and, and, you know, all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, and people are flocking to Jesus, even some of his disciples. And all of a sudden, they're coming, and they're going, John, you're losing all your guys to Jesus, this new guy. And John says, let him go. i got to decrease so he could increase. Let me tell you something. That is so essential in the Christian life. Something I, I learned earlier, I've shared this in our missions group, I've shared this before, I've shared it before. You know, I, re I remember early on in ministry, man, I was ticked off. I was ticked off, and I was up at night, and I'm saying, I can't believe that somebody said this about me and that about me and all that stuff, not realizing that when you're a pastor, guess what? People say things. And sometimes they're loving, and sometimes they're not. And I was ticked off. And I was going to quit the ministry. And I'm wrestling up at night, can't get to sleep. And finally I said, you know what, I am done. I am done. And at that moment, all the weight came off of my shoulders. Because I thought, you know what, I'm quitting. I'm out. Some of you young people won't understand what I'm about to say. But I said, they're not going to have Nixon to kick around anymore. And that was... He was a president at one time, you know. They're not going to have Nixon to kick around anymore. <laughs> Within a minute of me saying that, my phone rang. My voicemail rang, and I turned on my voice message, and somebody, God used somebody, and just said, Anthony, just keep preaching. And I listened to that, and I listened to it again, and then I started blubbering as I'm driving down the road because God intervened at that moment. <laughs> and what I found out was this. For me to be that upset, there was too much of me. I had to decrease so he could increase. That is so essential. And I'm telling you right now, my ministry changed when that happened. You see, maybe you're not experiencing all that life has for you, that you're getting upset, that you're, you know, you're ranting and raving and, because you're not letting go of you. John said, I must decrease. Listen, we live in a culture that is never satisfied with being number two, right? How many teams, after they lose a championship, walk out saying, we're number two, we're number two, yeah! Nobody, right? And it's only growing worse. In the last days, Paul says, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We've never had a time where people are, people are in love with themselves, right? Did you know that? In Greek mythology, there was narcissists. You've heard that word before, right? Oh, that guy's a narcissist. Well, it comes from this cat, narcissist. He was a handsome god in Greek mythology, and he's walking by the water one day, and he sees his reflection. And you know what he does? He falls in love with himself. He looks and he goes, oh, look at that. First selfie. First selfie. Narcissus. All right? John the Baptist never took a selfie. 
never took a selfie. You know, he played, you know what, he had the toughest job, playing second fiddle. But he was willing to do that because there was someone greater. So what, that's what we have to ask ourselves. Listen, am I willing to put self aside? God wants to do something in my life, but the only thing holding that from happening back is me. Am I willing to put self aside so that Jesus could increase in my life? Because the only way that's going to happen is I've got to become less and less. So I've got to take on this mindset. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. You want to start experiencing abundant life? It's about Jesus. Lastly, a fresh start is available to all who need one. Fresh start. So maybe you need a fresh start in your walk with the Lord. Listen, there are times we all go through where you're in a rut, where you're just going through the motions, where it just doesn't seem like it's there. Maybe you need a fresh start in your marriage, that your marriage is just going through the motions. Maybe you need a fresh start in your ministry. Maybe you need a fresh start, you know, whatever that is in any kind of relationship. God is in the fresh start business. Because throughout the Bible, you see people who God gave a fresh start. Today, we talked about Peter, and we talked about a Mark. They were deserters, and God gave them a fresh start. We talk about John going in the wilderness and calling, you know, people came out to the wilderness. Why? To, to get this fresh start. That I need to prepare my heart. I need to lay aside the, the weight and the sin that is so easily besetting me. Because I need a fresh start. Sometimes when we're out in the wilderness, we've all had those wilderness moments where we're saying, God, where are you? What's going on? Sometimes God has to bring us out to the wilderness so that, you know what, we realize it was our sin that separated us from God. Sometimes he's got to bring us out to the wilderness because our lives have just been too busy. I was watching this movie last night with my wife, and I know I'm going long, but I haven't preached in three weeks. Are we Okay. I got a lot of stuff to say. I'm bubbling over. I'm watching this movie with my wife last night, and as I'm watching it, it's a, it's a sad movie, but it's a good movie, and I can't keep my eyes off it. And you know what? As I'm looking at my wife, I'm saying, sometimes we're just too busy. And we miss the sweet moments and the important moments. Sometimes God has to bring us out to the wilderness to understand that. That we need to reprioritize our lives. Listen, that's how it is in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes we need to reprioritize our lives. I'll close with this. We're pretty close to this. The, uh, I've shared it with you before from the Church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Just let me show you this. You know the church of Ephesus. Please turn there. Revelation chapter 2. This is important. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe your life right now, you're saying, man, I need a fresh start in my walk with the Lord. I need a fresh start in my marriage, in my relationship with my husband I need, or my wife. I need a fresh start uh, with ministry. I just feel so bogged down. I need a fresh start. God gives us the answer right here. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus and he goes through about I know your works and all these things and they were a great church. They did all the things necessary. But then he says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You see, they were a church. They were going through the motions. Sometimes busy for busyness sake and you forget why you're doing it in the first place. Could happen in marriages where, you know, the husband is doing his thing, the wife is doing her thing, and they're busy, and they're busy with the kids, and busy with all these things, and, and they forgot that you got married to be together, to have that devotion together. So this speaks to whether it's a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with your spouse, a relationship with someone else, whatever. You lost first love. Everybody knows what first love is. That warm, gushy feeling, right? We've all experienced. If you, right? First love. Do you remember first love? Listen, this is important because as Christians, as I look around this room, there's some folks here that they're on the back nine. They're on, you know, they're on the back nine. That, if you're a golfer, you know, you play first nine holes. That's all you young people. The back nine, that's all the ones that are a little older, okay? Some of you are about to line up your last putt just the way it is. Had somebody come up to me afterwards. They said, 
I'm one of the ones with the last putt. So, listen, it's just the way it is. Don't you want to finish well? Don't you want to finish on fire? Don't you want to finish with a heart of devotion? Well, here's how you do it. First love, getting that, the warm and fuzzies back. It's good to have warm and fuzzy feelings, right? It is. I've had people that have been married. See, I still believe in warm and fuzzy feelings. Call me a romantic, call me crazy. I still believe in warm and fuzzy feelings. I still like it when I look at my wife and I get those butterflies. Go ahead, girl. Listen, I, I do. I like that. And I've had some older couples, ah, they're gone. Look, I'm not married to you. Holy cow. Those things are asterisk. What a fun, loving. <laughs> Warm and fuzzies. He says, you've left your first love. You've, you're doing everything, but you're doing it out of duty, not out of devotion. So how do you get it back? There it is, verse 5. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember those days when you had that first love. And repent. There's that word, repent again. And do the first works. Remember, repent, return. That's it. You want to get your relationship back on fire with your spouse, with your ministry, with your Lord? Remember. Remember when you first met Jesus, when somebody said you could be forgiven of your sins and you trusted Christ? Do you remember that? And you wanted it all of Jesus that you could get, that you were picking up the Bible, not because a verse a day keeps the devil away, or I got to read all this. I got to know this guy and what he did for me. I want to know him. When the doors opened up in the church, guess what? You were there because I want to know him. I just want him. He says, remember that and start doing it again. And you know what happens? God has a way of relighting that fire, of giving a fresh start. Sometimes, you know what, you just got to commit to it. There are times, I will tell you in my own life, where I am just burnt out, dead, and I got to pick myself up and start walking. And you know what I find? God gives me a fresh start, a fresh wind, a fresh fire. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent and do the first works. Return. Why don't you today make that commitment? I want a fresh start. Lord, I thank you for this great salvation you've given me. I thank you that you're putting up with me. I thank you, Lord, even as I'm going through the motions and you know it, you're still patient with me. And ask him to stoke a fire in your heart. So there's a lot of things we could take away from the message. When you read the Bible, you read the Bible for what it's saying, you look for where Jesus is, but then you also look, how can I apply this to me? Am I that voice in the wilderness sharing the gospel? Am I looking for a fresh start? Then let me do what I need to do. And lastly, if you're an unbeliever, the Lord is coming. Don't wait. Take the opportunity now, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest message ever given to man. Why don't you ask the Lord to save you today? I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and I'm just going to lift up these folks here lift up you all. Maybe, maybe you do need a fresh, fresh wind, fresh fire, as James Symbola calls it. Maybe you need to, to make a U-turn in your life that, you know what, there's just been, you've been going your own way, doing your own thing. There's too much of you and not enough of Jesus, and you're wondering why I'm running on empty. Maybe today's that day. You turn to the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the message of the gospel. Lord, you've left us here for such a time as this. I pray for every believer that we would seriously contend for the faith, but also seriously and fervently reach out to those who are lost. Father, I pray that you would give us open doors of opportunity and a boldness to proclaim the message of Jesus, that you would put people in our paths so that we could share the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray for all the kids coming today and uh, this week in Vacation Bible School. I pray for all those that have signed up to help. Lord, that you would meet us 
in our need so we could impart the love of Christ and the message of Christ to all the kids that are coming and their parents as well. Father, maybe today there's those who need a fresh start. I pray that you would stoke that heart afresh, Lord. I pray that the remedy you gave us in Scripture, we would remember from whence we've fallen when we first came to know Jesus, and we would repent. We've been running with the world. We've been running with uh, the cares of this life that we would repent and turn to Jesus and begin doing those first things again just because we love him. Lord, stoke a fire in the hearts of your people. Give us a fresh start today. Help us to run this race well and to finish well. And Lord, lastly, for anyone who's never trusted Christ, I pray today would be the day they say yes to Jesus. And if that's you and the Lord is speaking to your heart, answer that call. Just a simple prayer, just saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe on that cross, Jesus paid for my debt of sin. And I believe he's the only way to be forgiven. And I'm asking you to save me. Save me, Lord. If you prayed that prayer something like it, please see us at the welcome desk. Let us give you some info so that you can know that you know that you know that you have the Son and you have life. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your spirit's presence. Thank you that you meet us where we are to bring us to where we need to be. We ask your blessing on your people in Jesus' name. Amen.